Welcome to episode 23 of the Adventuring for Mere Mortals podcast. I'm Kyle, joined by co-host Trevor, and this month our guest is Tim Cotman. You might remember Tim from the Ragbri episode because he was one of the guys that did Ragbri with us. This month, he's talking about bow fishing. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to be part of this episode due to previous commitments, but Trev's going to take it from here. All right. Hello, everybody. Um, welcome to another episode of Adventuring for Mere Mortals. Our guest this month is a familiar voice for those of you who have been listening, but it's our friend Tim Cotman, and we're bringing him back because he has a very, uh, I'll call it a unique hobby that not a lot of people do, and I, I, when I found out that he was doing it, I'm like, yeah, we absolutely got to get him on. But yeah, we to give a little background, uh, Kyle and I went to college with Tim at Rolla or at University of Missouri Rolla. Um, and yeah, Tim was in the caving club with uh, Kyle and Kyle was in the, and Cotman was in the same uh, fraternity as me. So we go way back. But yeah, Cotman, uh, just give a little bit of a refresher for those that may have not listened to the episode, what you're all about. Uh, yeah, my name's Tim Cotman. Uh, I live out in Nebraska, kind of around Omaha. I uh, just really enjoy outdoors and have a vast uh, hobby selection involving the outdoors, everything from cars to hunting and fishing. And uh, I've just always kept a, an open open eye and open ear to any other opportunities to take whenever it comes to the outdoors. And, and I just kind of gradually progressed uh, throughout different hobbies. That's the way to go because there's always something new to discover out there. And like, even I see was like, that's how I got into like gravel riding. I didn't know that was a thing. I thought people were just riding bikes on the roads all the time. And I saw that I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm into that. So you always got to keep your ear to the ground, listening and oh. keep an eye out for cool stuff that people do. Cause yeah, humans figure out cool things to do. So it's always good to, good to be looking out. But yeah, before we get into the topic, which I haven't, I haven't, gave hints at yet but i will in a minute uh let's just do a bit of a catch-up what we've been up to so yeah Cotman, what have you been up to last i don't know couple months since we talked to you last oh uh, my job has a lot to do with the government as well and and uh end of the fiscal year kept me really busy with that uh but finally was able to take a couple breaks spent a week in uh, wisconsin uh going fishing and then this last weekend i spent uh Four days out in western Nebraska uh, chasing pronghorn and uh, white-tailed deer. Nice. So I was uh, successful with a, a nice white-tailed buck, and uh, he'll do a good job at getting part of my freezer filled. Hopefully, there uh, you go. Hopefully I can get a few more and, and get enough meat to, to last through the year. Nice. Yeah, like my, my dad does the same thing every year. Like most of the time he's not going for like the big buck. He's not like the trophy hunter. It's all about filling the freezer. Like we're our whole family's a big fan of deer brats. So we go get them processed and get some deer brats, put some cheddar, 
and uh, jalapenos in there. Man, that's a good meal. Oh, yeah, that's great. But, yeah, uh, as far for me, uh, not really fun updates. About a week ago, I was running errands in town with my son in the back of my uh, Rivian, and we were sitting at a red light, and we got rear-ended. Um, so a SUV driving, I don't know how fast they were driving because it was, they, they hit the car behind me and then that car hit me. So where everybody's okay, everybody walked away. All right. But the two cars, the two SUVs behind me were completely totaled immediately. Uh, the Rivian was heavy enough that it, it was, I assume it was just like hitting a brick wall for them. Um, my tailgate and my whole rear end was pretty much just uh, really dented in and it was seemed drivable until I saw what I'm, I'm going to call a mystery liquid coming out of the battery pack. So I'm guessing that was part of the coolant system to keep the battery cool while it's operating, like charging and discharging. So I was on the, went on the safe side and got it towed to the collision center to, to get an estimate and, uh, checked out and i'm still waiting it's been a week and i've called them and they're like yeah you have a new odd vehicle so we're gonna have to do this by hand it's gonna take a while so i'm patiently waiting luckily everybody like i said everybody's okay and everybody had insurance so it'll all get taken care of but yeah it's just it's a bummer yeah no waiting to hear i love that truck but we'll we'll i'll get made whole eventually it'll be all right but um, yeah, I think it's uh, time to go into our main topic, which now now I'll tell everybody what it's all about. So Cotman has the hobby of bow fishing. So I don't know, I don't know how much people know about bow fishing, but I guess yeah, I thought I thought it was interesting because I know I think my dad might have done it a little bit like experimented a little bit when I was a kid, but he wasn't like super, super into it. So I don't know much about it. And I don't think the general populace knows a whole lot about it. So I thought it was a cool topic that we could hit on as like one of those cool things that people go out and can do in the outdoors because got to do it in the outdoors. So, but uh, before we get to that, uh, we'll do our normal question about how you were introduced to the outdoors. I think that's always a good place to start. Uh yeah, that, that's a tough one for me. Um, I've just kind of been around the outdoors since I was a kid. Um, was lucky enough to have a house that was typically out of city limits. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of had free range of the backyard and climbed trees and uh, just spent a lot of times in, in ditches and creeks and trees. And <laughs> uh, when go visit family. Uh, a lot of them were farmers and be able to go out and do some fishing with them. Uh, just kind of grew up with the outdoors and, and uh, evolved what I was doing as I got older with it. No, that's cool. So we'll just say family and yeah. And like your parents had to let you go out into those creeks and ditches. So yeah, yeah so we'll blame your family. It's all right. We'll blame them. It's, it's probably the best, best option. <laughs> Okay, so on to bow fishing. So I guess just because I don't know how familiar everybody is with what bow fishing is, give us like the quick rundown, what it is, how it differs from like traditional type fishing with like a a rod and line and hook and all that. Yeah, uh, it's 
significantly different than regular fishing. Um, you have a bow and arrow and uh, attach essentially some sort of fishing device to the arrow and to your bow. And uh, so when you shoot your arrow, you're able to reel the, the arrow back. Uh, I mean, that's kind of quick down and dirty. There's a lot of variations <laughs> of of the bows you use, the equipment you use, the uh, what you're going after and how you're going after it. But the the biggest thing is being able to shoot an arrow and being able to retrieve that arrow back to you. Um, uh, there are some... Uh, places that you you don't use a any sort of string to bring the arrow back you shoot the fish and chase after your arrow but uh, oh. it's not uh, it's not the easiest thing to do so yeah that'd be challenging I feel like you would have to do that in like shallow water yeah it wouldn't work there deep water right yeah and the other variation of bow fishing is actually uh, like hand spearing fish um, the oh, two okay. kind of intertwine with each other with regulations so um, there's spears that have a tether on them and some spears that don't. So, okay. Yeah. I've seen like videos of scuba divers with like the spear on like a, it's like an elastic band basically that they kind of, it shoots out that way. I assume yeah. it's similar. Yeah. That's uh, probably a little bit different just in the fact that you're actually in the water, uh, submersing mm-hmm. yourself. Uh, but yeah, it's all kind of the same sense. You're you're not trying to trick a, a fish into biting a hook or a lure. You're yeah. you're forcing the uh, <laughs> the interaction with the fish. Okay. Yeah, I think that I think you just hit on the the big difference. Like you are, it's more. I I feel like, and correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like it's more fish hunting yeah. than than like regular fishing, where you're tricking, like you said, tricking a fish to bite your hook. Yeah, it's definitely fish hunting and in some situations you're you're stalking the fish you're able to see them at a distance and so you you actually have to really be careful about the noise you make even even on land or Mm -hmm. if you're in a boat the noise that the boat makes and the noise you make on the boat so just walking through something that's crunchy or kicking rocks it it causes enough vibration that it'll spook a fish away so there's there's definitely a hunting aspect to bow fishing. Uh, other times you're just in an area that the fish are uh, are there; they're not paying attention, and uh, it's just shooting fish in a barrel. You know that literally that kind of concept. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's cool. Uh, you you touched on regulations, so I know with I'm just going to keep using the term regular fishing to kind of differentiate it, but. Um, I know regular fishing, if you're not on private property, you need your fishing license. I'm assuming, is it the same fishing license for bow fishing or does it differentiate or does it different by state? I don't know any rules. Yeah. Uh, so every state's going to have it regulated differently. Uh, a lot of times the regulations are very similar. Um, where I'm at, it's regulated under, uh, under fishing itself. It's not regulated mm-hmm. as hunting. Um, but where you have to be careful is that you are firing a projectile. And so mm-hmm. some bodies of water have restrictions and the way that those restrictions are worded may exclude you from bow fishing those waterways. Okay. Um, it, it's best to reach out to your conservation, DNR, game and parks, uh, whatever governing body you have 
within the mm-hmm. state and, and really understanding what the regulations are and what types of bodies of water you need to look out for if, if you're going to try bow fishing. It's, yeah, could, could, could you give an example of like how these things might be worded to, that would preclude you from bow fishing on them? Yeah, most of the time I'm kind of curious. you're going to run into it when you're trying to fish a body of water that is regulated by an actual city. Um, mm-hmm. So a lot of cities will have some sort of public pond in a park that you can go and fish and, and catch, you know, an assortment of fish from. Mm-hmm. Um, the city will probably have a regulation on projectiles and they, they loosely define projectiles in a typical sense where it's okay. going to cover any sort of firing of a potential weapon that has, you know, a, a mass that is propelled through the air. Uh, oh, okay. So that, that could include everything from like airsoft guns, paintball guns, uh, water balloon launchers. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I've read lots of different variations of that rule. And they all word it very loosely. Um, in Blank Iowa, statement. yeah, in Iowa, which is where I've done most of my bow fishing, um, you, I, I always had to read up on what what the wording was and, and typically try to get clarification if I was trying to bow fish in an area that was controlled by um, an, a non-state type department. Uh, most okay. of the time, whenever it's state-owned property, you don't have those same regulations to worry about. Mm-hmm. No, and that's a good point you make that you're always going ahead and like checking all the regulations of places you're going. I feel like that same type of mentality falls into most outdoor activities. Like, you can't just always go out and do the thing you were planning to do because the onus falls on you the person that's going to do this activity to make sure when it's safe to do it in that area, it's legal to do it in that area. So that's a very good point to make. Thank you for making that. Yeah. I'm sure you run into it even with uh, hiking and camping trips. You know, a lot of places are going to have regulations on, on where you can camp at, if you can have a fire or not, you know, that kind of stuff. So, and fishing's the same way. Um, You might have regulations on what type of bait you can use live bait versus uh, artificial bait versus mm-hmm. uh, flies. Uh, it also could tie back into um, if you're using any sort of live bait, if it came from that waterway or if it was bought from a store, that changes the legality mm-hmm. as well. Um, okay. So yeah, regulations are important. Anytime you're in the outdoors, you really need to, to find someone that's knowledgeable um, or be able to understand where you need to look to find those regulations. And it can be difficult, um, but typically I, I haven't had issues. Uh, it's been it's been places that I, I questioned if I really should be bow fishing there or not that I had to really dig into those regulations. Yeah. Okay. You, you kind of hit on another thing, like you need to find somebody that's knowledgeable of the activity you're doing. How did you get into bow fishing? Because that doesn't oh. seem like something you're like, yep, I'm just, I'm going to, I'm going to go shoot. I'm going to go shoot a fish with this bow and arrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I knew about it fairly young and I tried, you know, 
building my own bow and arrow whenever I was maybe seven or eight years old, yeah. tying a string onto it. <laughs> and, you know, it, the arrow would go two or three feet and that's it. You yep. know, that's kind of like probably my first thought of bow fishing. Uh, when I first got into it, though, uh, there were irrigation ditches in Illinois that uh, I had a friend that they they owned some of the farm around it. And mm-hmm. uh, it's just kind of a, a family hobby they do occasionally. I joined in on them. And, uh, yeah, just did that a couple times. And then uh, went, went away to college, didn't bow fish at all for a long time. And uh, came back and one of the guys had built a bow fishing boat uh, oh. where – on the front of the boat, he had built a raised platform, put a series of lights around that platform, and then at night, you're able to go out bowfish. Uh, the first time I did that, I absolutely fell in love with with bow fishing and uh, and invested in myself and into doing it. That's awesome. Yeah, cause I never really thought about shining, having the lights, because that was going to be one of my questions. Like the clearer, the clarity of the water for bow fishing is really going to play a big factor, right? Because with regular fishing, you can throw your bait out there and a fish can come from deeper and, and then you might, you might have a better chance of catching it. But with bow fishing, you have to be able to see the fish before you can really shoot at it. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's where things get kind of complicated. Um, someone that's more educated probably in, in how light sources work. I uh, could break it down further, but uh, we typically run boats that have a yellow tinted color to the light. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a scale in like how do you measure the color of the light, and uh, like six thousand K is is like these bright blue LED colors that yep. you, you know really burn your eyes. And we're we're typically using lights that are like sub four thousand. So it's going to have like this yellow orange color to it. And, and that helps cut through the murkier water, uh, which is more prevalent, at least in the Midwest. You do get into some areas that provide crystal clear water and you can see, you know, 10 feet deep and it completely changes everything about what you know about bow fishing too, because you end up changing the uh, refraction angle as well. Mm -hmm. And so where you see the fish in the water, isn't actually where that fish is and so you have to learn how to adjust your shot and it 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 gets more and more complex the the more variables you throw into it yeah there's there's a lot that uh that plays out yeah that that was going to be one of my big questions is how do you deal with water refracting the light like that because i know every kid has either seen it in science class or if they had a pool, if you put like a broom or whatever in the pool, your broomstick bends as you go into the light. So like you have to correct for that. Obviously, if you're shooting, for, if it's not like a half an inch below the water, below the water line, you have to correct for that. So is it just trial and error or <laughs> like, what do you do? And of course, with the deeper you get, the more off it, the more different, it's going to be right. Yeah. So I'm going to step it back just a little bit and kind of go into the basics. So with bow fishing, where it differentiates from actual like bow hunting is that with bow hunting in most scenarios, you have some sort of line of sight, uh, some sort of pin system that's going to help you uh, center on your target 
at different mm -hmm. ranges. Um, and with a bow, you've got a much uh, more significant arc than you would with a gun. Um, with bow fishing, you don't use any sort of sight. It is, okay. It's instinctual. It becomes similar to throwing a baseball. Um, and it, it takes you know, hours of practice to really perfect that. Mm-hmm. And then you go somewhere that has different water conditions. The fish are at a different water level and you have to relearn what that instinct is, is telling you where, where you're supposed wow. to be at and on your shot. Uh, in most scenarios, starting out in the Midwest, we're going to have murky water and you're going to focus in on somewhere that is uh, slack water, a little shallower. You're going to see fish really close to the surface there'll be uh, foraging around in mud or there'll be uh, top feeders that are just floating, uh, you know, filtering out uh, microorganisms out of the water. And so they're going to be really easy shots. When you get into clear water, that's where things drastically change because a fish could be at a foot below the water and weigh five pounds, or it could be 10 feet under the surface of the water and weigh 50 pounds and look mm. identical to each other. Oh, and wow. it, it becomes a very difficult game of, of trying to understand where that fish is, what it's doing and, and trying to get your body to adjust to that. I just had a, a random thought because I'm thinking like, well, if you wanted to, like practice your shot. Do people like put targets at different, like if you just had a, a body of water with no foot, could you put like targets at different depths in the water or something and just practice? Yeah. So, uh, I don't know if you ever met her, uh, but her name was Jody worm and she went to school with Enrolla, but I think you had graduated by that point. Yeah. Uh, but she ended up moving up to Iowa and, uh, I knew that she was in archery. And so I invited her to come, uh, shoot a bow fishing tournament uh, with me and some friends because we needed a, a fourth person. Mm -hmm. And she made the drive down. I had a bow set up for her to try for the first time. We went to a um, a gravel pit where they were harvesting sand and gravel out of it. Mm -hmm. And it had really clear water. So I tied a swimming pool noodle onto a rock and tossed it out into the water. And mm -hmm. we sat there and shot at it for about an hour prior to starting the tournament. So nice, she yeah, could <laughs> kind of learn how to do it. And it, it, it kind of works. It kind of doesn't, but yeah, probably uh, better than nothing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the rush that we had, it, it was, it was the easiest solution. So, mm -hmm. um, I have seen some boat like actual professional targets that look like fish, mm -hmm. but I don't know if they float or if it's, something you just said on dry land. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't really know the answer to that one. Mm. Well, sounds like it's very challenging <laughs> to put it lightly, uh, but yeah, I guess that's the fun. That's the fun, yeah. right? Like that's, if it was easy, it wouldn't be fun. Yep. Yeah. There, there's a lot of, a lot of different aspects to it that you can really dig into. Um, you know, reading maps. Uh, I spent a lot of time looking at, uh, at satellite imaging, looking mm -hmm. for bodies of water that had the conditions that we thought fish would be in for that time of year, okay. uh, looking for access points. Um, there's the fabrication side 
of building your boat, wiring your boat, adjusting lights so that you you get really good water um, illumination, uh, but you also don't get that re- reflection of that light back into your face. Um, you know, tricking things out, getting the boat balanced so that you stay really shallow with your boat um, so that you can get into tougher areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, just getting to be a good shot, um, upgrading your gear, your bow, your, your real system, um, and then learning how to survive, you know, shooting a, a 12 hour tournament, 24 hour tournament, you know, typically throughout the, the middle of the night mm-hmm. and spending a whole weekend destroying your sleep cycle to turn around and go back to regular <laughs> sleep on, on Monday. Destroying your sleep cycle while still trying to keep a good being a good shot, yeah, and not making dumb mistakes that scare the fish away. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. It, it uh, I, for for probably close to ten years, I I didn't have any sort of uh, regular sleep schedule. Uh, mm. I would stay up all night on the weekends. I would stay out till two o'clock during the week to turn around and wake up at four thirty or five to go to work. Um. Yeah, it, it it took over a portion of my life there for a while. Just any opportunity or chance, <laughs> I, I took it to go. And when you're younger, you can do you can get away with stuff like that. Like I know at Rala, my didn't sleep much at all. I'd get like four hours of sleep a night, and that was fine. Yeah, I'd make it up, quote unquote, make up for it on the weekends, sleeping on the weekends. But yeah, yeah, you you got you get by. Oh yeah. Uh, when you love something, that uh, seems to make things a lot easier. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, because you're, when you're passionate, you get all amped up. You're like, no, I'm going to do this. i got to go, 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 go. got to get yeah. it done. <laughs> That's exactly the feeling. Ah, That's great. Now, more questions. So, yeah, we've talked about, like, different bodies of water. Like, what's the it probably depends on the type of fish you're going for, but what kind of body of water are, do you prefer to fish on? I assume probably not moving water because that's more like a fly fishing type of environment. Yeah. That's where things get difficult is, uh, I typically haven't fished water based on my preference for the water. Mm -hmm. Um, it's been more about what's available in the area. That's fair. And, and time of the year can affect, um, fish movement movement a lot as well. Um, probably my favorite is is like back marsh areas that have good vegetation growth, mm-hmm. slack water, or you know very minimal water movement. Um, but the best fishing is is typically when it floods and you've mm-hmm. got some sort of established vegetation, and then yeah. a river floods up into that the water will clear out really well. The fish love that vegetation, both for the food source as well as the cover. Mm-hmm. And, and that is probably the, the dream conditions for most bow fishermen. Okay. Those, those springtime floods, but you know, sometimes they happen too early in the year and, and the water's too cold. The vegetation's not there. Um, when the conditions are just right, it's, it's probably some of the, the most it is the most desirable condition yeah that makes sense the fish should be excited they have new food sources they can't normally get to mm-hmm. yeah so they're just going crazy because yeah like those animal instincts 
eat, 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 eat. Go. Yeah. And the second part with that is that a lot of them are going to spawn in the springtime mm-hmm. as well. And their uh, genetics are to spawn into a some sort of uh, environment that will capture the eggs. And okay. so any any sort of vegetation is is going to provide that capturing movement that they're looking for. Mm-hmm. So you'll you'll find fish in very very shallow water. Half of their body is out, and oh, wow. in many cases the female can't release her eggs on her own. So the males mm-hmm. will will come to the sides and push on her belly, and that'll mm-hmm. push the eggs out of the fish, and then the males wow. can uh, fertilize those eggs. I those are that's crazy. Yeah, so those are those are the conditions that that people dream about. The females with eggs are going to be the biggest fish. Um, mm-hmm. That's where guys are getting the world record sizes mm-hmm. is during that spawn time, and uh, it can get very exciting when you're yeah. you're in knee deep water and fish are swimming around and running into your legs. Uh, <laughs> it's it's a very exciting time. Yeah, definitely. So you talked about like the sizes of fish, but what what different kinds of fish are you actually bow fishing for? I assume bigger ones because smaller ones are going to be hard to hit. Yeah, it's it's a purely personalized choice on mm-hmm. on what you're interested in. Um, in competition, there's commonly some sort of largest fish or top five. Uh, where the combined weight of those the five biggest fish in the boat. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's sometimes in some areas there's a, a numbers game. So bodies of water that have a large amount of invasive species will have uh, uh, you know the most fish in the boat that are of this species you yeah, know is, like is going to have. Um, and so some teams are designed around numbers. Some teams are designed around size. Uh, for me personally, uh, where I'm at, I am more opportunistic. I have a couple areas that produce really good four to six pound invasive carp. Uh, they're typically the the silvers and the the big heads. And those are, so, those, those are the Asian carp. Those, yeah, yeah. So they're, they're all over the Midwest rivers nowadays. Yeah, so they're part of the the Asian carp uh, group of fish. Um, as well as grass carp, those are the three that I'll I'll find most common, mm-hmm. and uh, and I like them because I can eat them as well. But um, for me, yeah, I'm very opportunistic at this point. I don't do the the competition stuff anymore, mm-hmm. and uh, and I don't have a boat, so I I just enjoy the the hike along the banks of the river yeah. and and looking for that slack water and, and harvesting a, a few fish to take home. That's cool. So. What is conceivably the biggest fish you can actually get on a like a bow fishing type setup? It probably depends on your setup, I'm sure, but it's got to be different <laughs> than quote unquote regular fishing. Yeah, and it's going to highly vary in where you're at. Um, mm-hmm. In the Midwest, I've I've uh, been able to get into some sixty pound grass carp out of oh, the Mississippi wow. river. And that's, that's a very big fish. You know, the, yeah. the biggest I've seen is somewhere in the seventies. Um, 
in the Midwest, that's about as big as you're going to get. Mm-hmm. There's there are some bodies of water, and uh, I know some gentlemen that have caught over a hundred, or I don't want to say caught, but have harvested over a hundred pound yeah. Asian carp out of those bodies of water. Uh, at one time, the gentleman had the world record at I think it was 119 pounds for a big head carp. Wow. And uh, it's an absolute giant of a fish. Um, I I can't even explain <laughs> how I'm trying to imagine like reeling that in. Yeah, <laughs> on, on uh, a bow fishing rig. Yeah, I think he he fought that fish for for over an hour before he was able to get it in. Oh wow! But that that was in a private body of water that the river mm-hmm. had flooded into. So, you know, a small population had gotten into this, this water mm-hmm. and that water has, you know, a lot of minerals, a lot of food. Um, it's probably spring fed. And so there's a food source year round uh, because yeah. the uh, silver carp and the big head carp are, are filter feeders. Mm-hmm. And so they need to feed on uh, microorganisms. The winters here are so rough and cold that a lot of times those microorganisms are, are non-existent for several months, essentially. Uh, but a spring-fed body of water is going to produce a continual supply for those fish. Yeah, keeps and, it just just warm enough. Yep, just warm enough. You know, it, it, uh, it really changes the rate of growth that those fish have. Um, for me personally, the biggest fish I have is... Uh, uh, seven foot three, 173 pound, uh, alligator gar out of Texas. Oh, um, yeah. that was several years ago. I went down there and, uh, and, and spent a weekend going after one of them and, and was able to, uh, success, successfully harvest one. Um, it was an incredible experience mm-hmm. and I brought home a ton of meat off of that thing and thoroughly enjoyed being able to to feed that to my friends and family and yeah. and kind of share the experience of that one. Yeah, I think that's an important thing to make, like in important point to make that in quote unquote regular fishing, there's a lot of catch and release is a thing. I'm assuming with bow fishing, since you're shooting a projectile into a random part of the fish, it's really not happening, right? Yeah. And most situations we're targeting um, species of fish that are not native to North America mm-hmm. or not native to uh, select waterways. There mm-hmm. are some states that have regulations that allow you to go after what they consider game fish, uh, mm-hmm. which would be native fish to the areas. Uh, Nebraska does have regulations that allows that. However, you do have to follow any sort of size regulation there is um, at the same okay. time. And so it becomes a lot more difficult for someone mm-hmm. to to know that they're going after illegal fish and will commonly kind of avoid, um, you know, the potential of, of having issues. So, um, I, I can imagine, like you said, it's hard to judge how big a fish is depending on how deep it is. So it'd be really easy to, if you're shooting for a game fish and you hit it and you pull it up and it's like, Oh, this is under the size limit. Like, and you're just kind of screwed. Yeah, uh, the situation probably exists, um, but it's not one that I would uh, I would ever push my limits on. Mm-hmm. Um, if I wanted to harvest a game fish for my dinner, I could just use a fishing pole. 
Um, yeah. The Asian carp, I really like the way that they taste and mm-hmm. the sizes that I'm able to harvest produces a lot more meat for, um, for what I'm looking at. Uh, I, I can go out, I can see the biggest fish in a, a pot of, of Asian carp and be able to, to get one or two out of there and have plenty of meat for a couple meals. So nice. So I, yeah, I think that's a, that's a good next thing. Well, what's your favorite or a couple favorite dishes to make with this carp? Uh, one of the issues with the fish is that they have an extra set of bones that go through the flays. So mm-hmm. a lot of people disregard, um, the the european carp which is a common carp uh the asian carp uh which is a silvers big heads grass carp and then you also have uh the black carp which uh feeds on mussels mm-hmm. um and then they'll also tie into that the buffalo fish which is actually native to north america and that's the large mouth and small mouth buffalo mm-hmm um, all of those species have that extra set of bones. And so it makes it difficult for a lot of people to eat them because they want a boneless piece of meat that they don't have to worry yeah. about. Um, for me personally, I, I got into pickling and canning fish this year oh, and nice. have really loved doing it that way. I don't have to worry about those small bones. Um, they become non-existent for me and you can do a lot with both pickled and, and canned fish. Um, if I want to make uh, fish tacos or something, mm-hmm. I'll I'll take a fillet with the bones in it and I'll run it through a meat grinder and make little patties and then fry up those patties. Um, but I've also just taken a, a fillet and put it on a grill, seasoned it up, and just ate around the bones. Uh, there's there's a lot of options out there. There's becoming uh, recipe books that mm-hmm. specialize in these fish and trying to. Uh, get more people to eat them and uh they're they're probably one of my favorite tasting fish uh in north america yeah they're they're filter feeders or the asian Mm -hmm. carp are filter feeders um i'll take that back the silver and the big head carp are filter feeders and the grass carp feeds on vegetation and all three of them Mm -hmm. eat extremely well they're very firm meat uh they don't carry hardly any fish oil flavor to it and and you can really kind of maneuver your flavor profile to whatever you want so Mm -hmm. if you want something spicy it'll it'll take on that that spicy flavor very easily um or you can go something more you know tart or something with lime and yeah it's just it's a very uh very forgiving fish as far Mm -hmm. as flavor goes like a blank palette, you can make it whatever you want. Yeah, oh, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, do you, the, do you yeah. know off Do you know offhand any of those any of the names of it, those uh, recipe books? Because I'd love to put it in the I in the show notes. I have a Facebook group that I started with another gentleman. Uh, we haven't been super active in it, but it's it's just called Kopi Cookbook. Uh, mm-hmm. Kopi was a rebranding name for the Asian carp. Um, mm-hmm. so instead of saying Asian carp, it's just Kopi. So there's okay. the silver, silver Kopi, the big head Kopi, grass harp Kopi. Is that with or, a C or a K? A C-O-P-I. Okay. And the, uh, I've got a few recipes on there. I did fish jerky and I think I did, 
uh, fish tacos and I think I did the pickled fish. Okay. And uh, then the other gentleman has done some soups and uh, a couple different ways of like grilling it. He's, he was a, he is a fantastic cook, uh, but he's since moved to Florida and no longer has that food source. And so uh-huh. he's, he's not providing much more input at this point, but um <laughs> Yeah, there, there's some great recipes there, though, for someone to look at. Yeah, I'll definitely uh, link that in the show notes for sure. Okay. Um, there's there's some other Facebook groups out there as well that uh, specialize in trying to share. And I could probably find you a couple names of the actual cookbooks as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, just send me whatever you got and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll link it in the show notes. Yeah. And uh, another thing I want to clarify is I, I mentioned the European carp, uh, which is mm-hmm. the, the common carp. Um, that is what most people think of when they, they talk about a carp, and that's what they envision. So that fish is a bottom feeder. It's a scavenger. It's like a, a raccoon. And mm-hmm. the issue with that is that uh, mercury and other heavy metals uh, are going to go to the bottom of a water source. And so those fish... We lost Cotman. So one thing I want to bring up about the European carp or the common carp is that it's a bottom feeder and it, it just scavenges the bottom of the water source. And that's where you're going to find a lot of the heavy metals and the mercury. And so that fish is commonly seen as not a, a good fish for you to harvest for uh, consuming. Uh, you're going to have risks of uh, potentially some sort of heavy metal poisoning. They also are known to, to not have the best flavor. They're a lot, uh, lot heavier in the fish oil and uh, are far more potent. Um, the buffalo, which is a native species, you're going to typically find them in, in a cleaner water source, uh, but they are known to, uh, to scavenge the bottom of waterways as well. Um, so you want to really kind of watch your fish intake if you're going after those. But the, the Asian carp, the ones that are, are filter feeding, like the, the silver, the big head, or eating grass, like the grass carp, are going to be a, a much cleaner source of uh, protein than most any other fish you're going to find. Even, even like a bass, um, which is going to be a predatory fish, is going to be consuming fish that are bottom feeders. So you could still end up with some of those um, heavy metals in, in a predator fish. Uh, most states are going to produce some sort of uh, fish health or recommended fish intake. And Mm -hmm. it'll tell you that uh, you're safe to consume maybe three walleye per week um, every other week or something like that. Okay. uh, And a lot of times the Asian carp are not on that list. And the Illinois department, um, was contacted and asked about that because they have a very prevalent Asian carps um, population. And they said there's, there's basically no, um, no concern as far as the intake of those fish. So as far as freshwater fish in the U S the, the Asian carp are probably one of the healthiest ones for you to consume. That's great bit of a ramble but it, it's really no good no information for people yeah it's really good information and like I'm, I'm a big fan of finding ways so we're kind of stuck with a lot of these invasive species and like i'm very aware of like the asian carp 
all like you said all over illinois like yeah from i've seen videos of people that are just like out recreate recreationally on their boats out in the river and if you get into a, a school of them they flip out and jump into your boat and some if there's like a 50 60 pound fish jumping into the jumping into the air and you get hit by it that's not gonna you're not gonna have a great day no, there's, all over. there's very little chance of eradication without wiping out yeah. entire ecosystems at the same time um as far as the the movement of those fish you know they are broadening how far up rivers one of the biggest mm-hmm. battles right now is that they're they're basically able to enter the Great Lakes. There's several mm. different deterrents they have in place trying to prevent that. But the concern is that if those fish get into Great Lakes, what what kind of damage they yeah. could cause? Um, they're yeah. working their way further and further up the Mississippi. Their their population is becoming acknowledged up on the Minnesota uh, lower Minnesota border. Mm-hmm. And then going up the Missouri River, it's made its way to the Yankton Dam. Um, but there's the the Yankton Dam in South Dakota is the first dam in uh, two thousand miles or four thousand miles. There's there's no other no other restriction in waterway from Yankton all the way down to the Gulf of Mexico. So wow. um, yeah, they're they're here. We're not going to see them go away. They're a great food source, and I think in the future you're going to see um, some of that popping up in in various ways. And I, I suggest you you take the opportunity to try it if you see it at a restaurant, because I don't think you'll be disappointed. Yeah, and like you mentioned it very briefly before, like the renaming brand, brand rebranding of the Asian carp as the Kopi. I think that's one of the one of the avenues towards that. Yeah, it's a far different fish than than the carp that people grow up, you know, hearing stories about. It's um, it's not the same fish. It doesn't have the same flavors. It doesn't have um, it, it shouldn't have the the hate that it does um, as far as the quality of, of food. However, I do hate the fish for its uh, what it's doing to these waterways. Yeah, and like like you said, we're kind of stuck with them now, so. Why not use them? Like, yep. go with the hand we're dealt, and yeah, let's use them. Let's harvest them, especially just it because the more, even though we're kind of stuck with them, the more invasives we can get out of our waterways, the more of the it gives the native fish a chance, a yep. better chance anyway. But I have a I have a weird tangent, and this might be able to connect people's brains to to carp but this might be a purely midwestern experience um so sorry if this just goes over everybody else's head but i've i did this a couple times when i was a kid and i still see it around so any like big man-made lake in the midwest if you go out to some dock they always have like a fish feeding station like i put a quarter or something in those and then you throw some fish food into the water and the fish go nuts i'm pretty sure those are grass carp right you'll find a a variety of fish at those and it really does depend on the waterway um Mm -hmm. the european carp are commonly going to have like a yellow or orange kind of coloration to them the grass carp look like a torpedo i mean they're Mm -hmm. they're very long and they're built of pure muscle uh that is an incredible fish and uh yeah, there's. It really depends on the waterway as far as like 
what you're going to see at those fish feeding stations, but mm-hmm. you, you are going to see a lot of European carp. You're going to see a lot of, of grass carp and you're going to see a lot of Buffalo. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you, you won't see Asian carp, um, or the silver and the big head feeding at those because they, they don't, uh, they don't have a stomach. They don't have any way to consume that food source. Okay. Yeah. And for those unfamiliar, it's, they basically just give you a handful of pellets and you can throw it in the water. And if you're brave enough, if you stick your, I remember doing this as a kid because like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I was a boy at one point and boys do dumb things. If you stick your thumb down in there where they're eating, they'll suck your <laughs> thumb up and you can about, you can at least try it. Well, in my, in my brain, when I was a kid, I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to pull this fish out of the ground, but it's like a 40, 50 pound fish and the little kid's not going to pull that out. But yeah. The, yep. Tangent, tangent over. Fun, I, fun I understand times that. A kid. <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, I'd like to go back and talk about the gear a little bit as far as yeah, absolutely. Someone, someone can start off at and, and where you can uh, kind of progress to. Uh, for me personally, I think the first setup I had, and it was for such a short time period, was I, I picked up a 10 or $15 bow at a garage sale that really was probably more of a danger to my health than any fish. <laughs> I, you know, it, it worked, but just barely. And, uh, and then I, I just took a bolt and put a bolt through the lid of a Gatorade bottle and then was able to, to screw that into a, a, a socket, a threaded socket yeah, on, yeah. on the bow itself. But then you just take some, uh, some string, like kite string or something like that. Um, I suggest somewhere around like a 200 pound range uh, fishing string, um, some sort of of braided fishing string and wrap around the bottle. And then you should be able to take shots. Uh, You'd want a a bow fishing specific arrow. Um, They're designed to attach the string to them. Um, and then the points on those arrows also have barbs or some sort of retainment system so that you're able to retrieve the fish with the arrow. Yeah, so it doesn't pull out immediately, right? Yep. And that's going to be your your basic, very, very basic starter starting point if you have almost no budget. Uh, that whole setup is going to be you know, $30, $40. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not great. It kind of gets the job done. I did that just to play with my friends and then you know the next weekend i went up to bass pro shields cabela's you know an outdoor store and i picked up a retrieval system um it's probably one of the best systems for a beginner and there's even a lot of pro level guys that use it but it's an ams bottle is what it it's termed as um it just has uh, a bottle that has a bunch of string in it and when you shoot the arrow, the string gets pulled out of that bottle with the arrow. And then you have a set of wheels that clamp down on that string and you're able to just shove that string back into the bottle using a, a hand reel system. So mm-hmm. instead of operating like a winch, which is how most fishing reels work, yeah, this yeah. one just shoves the string into a bottle and uh, it typically works really well. That string is like four or five hundred pound test, and uh, it's it's been a very successful method, and it it's a lot stronger. It doesn't break um, for most people, most situations. So, um, is there a real, I guess, behind that bottle? That way, if you do get, if you do latch onto one, 
you can reel it in from there or how does There's, that work? It's got a, it has a trigger system. Um, but what it is, is it's two wheels that when you pull that trigger, those two wheels clamp mm-hmm. onto the string. Oh, gotcha. And then as you reel, it spins those wheels and it just kind of throws that string back in. But the, the idea behind that is that when you shoot a fish, you don't actually reel it in. You set your bow mm-hmm. down and then you hand line the fish back oh, into you. Okay. Yeah. Um, my personal setup, though, I use a more traditional looking fishing reel that's mounted onto my bow. Um, it okay. even has its own little miniature rod that sticks out the front. Oh. Um, I use a, I, I base my system with a, it's a muzzy reel. Um, however, I've gone through the internals and upgraded a few things and um, added shims to get better gear engagement, which has prolonged the life of them. They're kind of mm-hmm. notorious for not lasting the longest uh, when you get into a lot of fish or if you're shooting logs and trying to jerk arrows <laughs> out of dirt and roots and stuff. Um, but there's a couple ways to trick them out. They're relatively affordable. Um but they do require a lot more maintenance and and a lot more care in order to to keep that equipment working. Um, and then as far as bows go, you could start with anything from an old longbow or recurve um, mm-hmm. that doesn't have any fancy you know wheels and cables to it. Uh, you could use a crossbow in at least in some states. Uh, that's another regulation that you'll want to look into. Um, you can use a compound bow and in most situations you you won't ever want to exceed about 45 or 50 pounds Uh, the only time i ever shoot 50 pounds is whenever i'm shooting really deep water and Mm. your arrow just loses so much energy as it's traveling that deep into water that you need to increase the the amount of weight that that bow is pulling back um and then a lot of the the higher level bow fishing guys are going to use a lever bow. Uh, a lever bow is kind of a weird combination between a compound, uh, which has a series of like pulleys on it. And what happens is on, uh, on when you draw that bow back, it, uh, it gets easier right at the very end. And so that's, it's designed for hunting so that you're able to draw back and hold without having to hold back the whole weight of, Mm-hmm. of the the tension in the bow uh, a lever bow has that same idea to it but it looks more of a traditional recurve and mm-hmm. those bows are designed to be easily worked on i can tear it apart in the bottom of a boat in the back of a truck you know a handful of tools and i can fully rebuild it in just a couple of minutes if something wow. d- does happen to that bow you know yeah. if it if something breaks, if it falls and gets knocked loose, anything like that. And, and that's kind of the, uh, the pushing point for a lot of the, a lot of the, the more invested bow fishing groups is, is using a lever bow is that you can, you can repair it and continue fishing without having to go to a bow shop and and having to use special equipment. Yeah. Yeah. Give up for the day. Go get your equipment fixed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, I've invested, I've, uh, I don't know, seven or eight bows now. Um, mm-hmm. They're all set up for bow fishing. I take other people out all the time. Um, you know, a lot of guys, they, they bow hunt and then that's it. You know, deer season, they'll bow hunt through the, the deer season. 
and then they don't pick up their bow again and, and mm. they become very interested in doing bow fishing. So I started picking up more bows and yeah. uh, now I have a whole collection and a group of guys that I can call up and eventually find at least one or two to join me on any, nice. any weekday. So, no, oh, that's great. Yeah, it, it's, it gets really complex when you start talking gear. There's a lot of, options. of course, some brands are better than others there's always some sort of design flaw that you you are made aware of very quickly early on mm-hmm. and it, it can be a struggle but um if i was to recommend anyone that's just getting into wanting to bow fish is get a cheap bow from a pawn shop a garage sale uh anywhere that you could just find a cheap bow that has relatively low poundage somewhere between 35 to 40 pound draw is is probably a good starting point and go and get an ams bottle with a arrow for a hundred dollars and that's going to get you bow fishing you're going to be able to be successful with that and you know you may end up spending 150 dollars but at the same time the 150 dollars you could you can sell that same setup back on facebook marketplace or something like that and get out of it with relatively no loss Oh, that's good. All right. So now for my regular spiel at the very end. So, yeah, if you want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is just rate us five stars. Only five stars because we don't don't take the time if you're not going to rate us five stars. But you could do that. Most of it's on uh, Apple, the Apple podcast. Or I think you can do it on Spotify now. But, yeah, the... Uh, the podcast as an Instagram. I need to post more on it, but it is at mere mortal pod. Um, we have a discord server. Uh, if that's your thing, there's a few of us there. I, I do like episode announcements and stuff like that. So the, the link to join that is in the show notes. Um, Kyle, as you all know, still has no social media presence and probably never will, but you can keep waving to people in central PA or just people that look like a Kyle. And my personal Instagram is at Trevor Bowman, two L's and two N's. So I do some stuff. Um, hopefully my R1T gets fixed and I can put more pictures of my R1T on there. But um, yeah, so Cotman, it's been great having you. Like it's, it's really fun to have people that are really passionate and knowledgeable about their subjects on. And you definitely fit that bill. Uh, I had a blast talking with you about it. It's uh, it's a passion, and uh, I, I love talking to people about bow fishing and, and trying to get them to, to try it out if they have any sort of interest in it. So uh, it's my pleasure. We'll see everybody next month. All right. See you all later.
Hi, Kyle. Kaufman dropped off. We miss you.